What up, what up? What's going on, guys? It's been a while. Uh, November 1st, the day after Halloween. I am in the studio. There's a little bit of construction going on, so it's kind of echoey. Bear with me. And I am waiting on a Skype phone call from uh, avid bow hunter, Caitlin Moss. And I actually did an intro for this, but it kind of got messed up, so I just chopped it off. And we had to start over. But anywho, I'm trying to talk to Caitlin because, you know, I'm interested in hunting. I'm interested in bow hunting. Uh, it's a difficult endeavor and an impressive discipline. She says she hunts like 99% of the time with a bow. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I've been calling the wrong Caitlin. I really got to work on this. So let's go. <clears throat> Hello? Caitlin. Hi. Hi, I have been calling the absolute wrong Caitlin. So somewhere out there, there's a, uh, a girl who's very similar looking to you. Who has a picture? <laughs> it's got a picture of her next to a goat, and I said, "Well, that's not outlandish. She's probably been near goats." And uh, <laughs> oh my <laughs> whoever this person is, they're gonna look at their um, their incoming messages and go, "What the hell's going on?" So, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you? I'm pretty good. We're, you're you're out in Wisconsin right now. I'm in Missouri. Missouri? Why? No. Oh, you were just were you in Wisconsin for those ten days? No, I was in Wyoming. <laughs> oh my goodness, look, I'm off to a fantastic start. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you because uh, I, I mentioned to you before that I'm interested in, in hunting as an endeavor, but also bow hunting, so you for sure fit the bill. And um, I think that it would be interesting for my listeners to hear about what you do uh, from the perspective of someone like me who has, I, I, I have little to no knowledge on it whatsoever. Um, but thank you so much for doing this. H how long do you have? Um, well, I have to be w at work in like three hours. So. Oh, okay. That's way, that's way <laughs> more much than that. <laughs> um, so how did you, how did you get into hunting? So my dad is a very avid hunter and, um, he pretty much raised me into it. Um, my very first memory was when I was, oh gosh, probably like four years old, I want to say. And I was too small to like fit in like safety orange because you can store safety orange, like the color for rifle season. Yeah. And so my dad dressed me in a Halloween like costume of a pumpkin. And he took me out in the woods like that. And that is like my first memory. So, I mean, I've pretty much been doing it my whole life. So That's hilarious. <laughs> he put you in a pumpkin suit? Yeah, I know. That's, a, yes. that's innovative. <laughs> if, you gotta, if you have a problem, oh, yeah. you find a solution. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's essentially your whole life. How, how old are you now? I'm 22. And you have like 13K followers on, on Instagram. Is that yeah, about right? Something like that. <laughs> and you, um, I, I think what's interesting about you is is 
you go out of your way, it seems, to, like, share a lot of information on, on like, the technicalities of hunting. You're very immersed in the culture of hunting. Yeah, I think it's really important to, you know, not just necessarily post a picture of, you know, you with a kill or whatever. Um, as a female in the hunting world, um, I'm not always taken seriously um, because it is a man's kind of thing. Um, so I really like to show that I am knowledgeable about what I'm doing and, and I really do have a passion for it. I'm not just on Instagram to, you know, get followers and get likes. Um so I don't know. I just I really do think it's important, and obviously then I can do things like this where I can go and actually talk to people and have a conversation about it instead of just posting a picture. And you know, a lot of people get the wrong idea about hunting. So I kind of I like to share my information, I guess. What um do you find that uh, recently I was you know following a bunch of hunting pages, and I think one of the things that seems to be inevitable if you are a hunter who's active as far as social media goes, do you run into a lot of hate from people that are just kind of the uninitiated, the uneducated? Oh, yes. Um, truthfully, it kind of comes in waves. I don't really know. I guess it's just the algorithm of how Instagram works, like who gets to see your stuff and when. Um, but Typically, um, I actually shot a few hogs down in Texas this past year, and when I posted those pictures, they really seemed to uh, draw attention, and, and a lot of people, they comment the nastiest things, you know, like, uh, you know, they'll say something like, oh, I hope that's how your children die, or, oh you know, whatever, <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, if you took the time to actually maybe learn a little bit about it, instead of just, you know, taking it for what you see it as that maybe we could kind of come to a you know connection here instead of just hating each other because antis are some of the most hateful people I've ever come across. Oh, and, antis. And they like really, a... they are uneducated. They don't take the time to actually learn a thing about it. They just want to see it for what they see it. Yeah, I, I have some peripheral knowledge about the, am I right in the idea that wild pigs in Texas are an invasive species and they're kind of, they're, going wild out there like there's so many of them they have uh i forget how many litters per year and how many uh how many babies per litter it's like something pretty astronomical like three to four litters a year or something like that is that true yeah yes i'm i i don't know the exact numbers but they they reproduce like wildfire and they are invasive um, i'm pretty sure they were brought over from europe like years ago um and Essentially, they they destroy like crops and, and you know forest land and and pretty much they're just a very destructive species and and they take away food from you know like deer and turkeys and and they'll even kill like they're omnivores so they'll even kill like fawns and and baby animals so they they really are just destructive the whole way around. <laughs> are, are they they're pretty aggressive too, aren't they? Uh, they can be, not always. A lot of times they'll run away from you, but if you if you corner them, they'll come after you. <laughs> you know what's interesting is um, you you live in Pennsylvania, right? Uh, currently I live in Missouri, but I'm technically I'm from Pennsylvania. Okay, okay. So in Jersey, I don't. I wish I had um, done my homework a little bit better, but something happened recently where they really clamped down on the bear hunting laws out here 
And it's, it's interesting to me because from what I understand, there's more black bear in this part of North America than there ever have been historically. And they don't, I don't know if they have any self-governing kind of self-regulating, like if nature finds a way besides, you know, some sort of illness or something like that. Uh, but if, if hunters don't, if hunters aren't buying tags to, to shoot bear, mm-hmm. at some point, wildlife biologists are going to say, because their, their entire job is to main, is to understand enough about a species so that they can dictate what a healthy number for that species is. And it's, it's healthy in regards of what's good for the environment. Uh, it's also healthy in what's good for the species as far as, um, resources go, you know, their food source, what's going to keep their, their, their numbers at a sustainable level. And if they should say that the black bear have reached a point where it, I, I believe it's called culling, right? That the, the, the numbers have to be culled. They would just yes. hire sharpshooters. The state would have to hire sharpshooters. Is that something yes. that you're at all familiar with? Um, I mean, I'm not necessarily familiar with black bears, but, you know, any species, if it gets out of hand, you really do have to kind of take some kind of control of it because either they're going to die from starvation because there's too many, you know, not enough food source, you know, they, they'll, they'll die of overpopulation. They'll literally run out of a place to live because, you know, eventually they're going to hit houses and, you know, people and stuff like that. And that, that in itself can be a problem. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the, the government, you know, the state or whatever will definitely have to take control of that because, you know, you can only have so many in a given area and they'll either die of natural causes or, you know, somebody will have to come in and take care of that, which truthfully I think is, I, I would say, you know, it's a more ethical thing to shoot them and have it be a quick death than have them starve, you know, over months at a time, you know. So I, I don't have a whole lot of information on that, but it's definitely something that they should probably be looking into. Well, it's interesting because when a when a hunter pays for a tag and, and they go, you know, whatever animal we're talking about, the lengths that you have to go through, hunting isn't an easy endeavor, uh, especially if you're doing something like you're doing, which is bow hunting. It's It requires a lot of discipline and a lot of practice. And you, I, I imagine that a lot of people who would take that on, everything about that animal becomes important. You know, the meat, the the fur, like everything about that animal is is something that was earned through hard work. And I don't think oh, the same, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that the same thing applies when it's a sharpshooter. I doubt that there's the same reverence for, you know, the meat and the fur and, and just everything that, like, I, I've heard that in Texas, um, they, they do this kind of thing where, especially with wild pigs, when the numbers get too high, they just take to helicopters and start lighting them up from the helicopters. And that meat just... I don't know what happens to that meat, but it's certainly not, you know, shooting a deer and, and 
taking the meat home for your friends and family and and having a, an experience out there in the wilderness for X amount of days and going through the struggle and, and it's not the same thing. Yeah. Well, a lot, I mean, every state has their own kind of regulations and how they do things. Um, a lot of times that does happen where, you know, they'll, they like hogs, for example, they, I've heard of a lot of times they'll just let them lay. Um, so I guess technically, you know, maybe wild animals could take advantage of that, but um, there's also a kind of like a share the harvest sort of thing where they could they could donate the meat, you know, to like homeless facilities and things like that. Um, but as far as what dates do what, I really couldn't tell you. Um, but it, it definitely is not the same. You know, obviously they're just out there shoot. You know, sharpshooters would be there just to eliminate numbers. Whereas, you know, hunters actually appreciate what goes into it. It is a lot of hard work and, and dedication and definitely discipline to, you know, put the time in and, and actually, you know, be successful at the end of the day. So what do you definitely different. What do you think about the way that hunters have been traditionally portrayed? Like I grew up, you know, you, you watch Bambi, <laughs> um, you, whatever it is you watch. <laughs> The Looney Tunes and Elmer Fudd is an asshole. You know, there's so many things that you... I remember watching uh, this movie without a paddle. Uh, and it was like the main characters had this altercation with these two hunters while they were out lost in the woods. And the hunters were like these morbidly obese, uh, day-drinking douchebags who were like throwing <laughs> sticks of dynamite in the water and killing the fish and, you know, pulling them off the top of the water. And it's very rare that you see anything portray hunters in a positive light as far as media goes. I, unless, of course, you're searching out, like, there's shows that I watch, uh, like Steve Rinella's Meat Eater on um, on Netflix is, is a good show. And yeah. there's a lot of shows that you can, but you have to seek those out. And as far as, like, media that is most commonly taken in whenever there's a portrayal of a hunter. It's, it's really never in like a good light. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say there aren't people out there like that, that, you know, act that way because, you know, you got the good and the bad in every kind of industry. But, um, I guess, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people think that hunters are just like country boy, redneck, you know, they're just gunslinging boys that just go out and shoot stuff just to have fun. But really, I mean, I don't know. It's It blows my mind, the, the perception that they give, because, you know, that's not how I see it, just because I'm a part of it. And, and I understand, you know, you, you sometimes have to seek something out if you really don't know about it. But I think with social media, there's slowly becoming more of a light to it. Um, I would say nowadays... Hunters are actually a lot more modern than what people would think. Like, I know a lot of people that they just, you know, they have average average jobs, average lives, and they just like to hunt on the side. And, and a lot of companies, I think, are starting to portray a more modern, athletic, sporty kind of look on it. Um, you know, Sitka, for example, um, is a camo, camo company, and a lot of their, they call them Sitka ambassadors and they call their ambassadors athlete and I don't know I, I guess it's just a lot of people just don't really take the time to recognize that they just think oh they're just 
a bunch of rednecks going out and shooting things. But that's really just not the case. You know, we're, we're hardworking and, and we really do have a passion for what we do. And that's the truth behind it. That so, is, it's pretty interesting because I think you're right with social media. I've noticed a lot more of that athletic, like hunting is now becoming more of an athletic endeavor or athletic pursuit as well as, you know, all the other things that it used to be. But I, I I have noticed that, especially with, I think even like Under Armour does a lot of hunting gear now. And, you know, it's not, I think it's kind of moving away from that old image. Uh, and I think you're right. It, it is kind of with the help of, of social media. Yeah, I definitely think so. Social media just has a big influence on everyone these days. So I think I think a lot of hunting companies are really trying to put forth. It, I don't know. I think it's just more of like a positive look. Like people think, oh, it's like a sporty thing. Like it just looks better than a bunch of rednecks shooting guns, you know? Yeah, it's it is interesting because a lot of things have to have to go through a transformation from time to time to become more palatable for the average person. But it's good to see hunting going through that transformation as opposed to... Because right now it's, it's you know, the, the, the culture is rough. Society is super judgmental. Um, we all have this platform with which to judge each other from. Uh, you know, our, our posts are out there for thousands, millions of people to see and, and decide what they are without having any real context. And I think yeah. it's good for hunting to be evolving in the direction that it's it's going in uh, because I didn't I didn't have much of a desire to hunt. I didn't have much of an opinion on it either. To be totally honest, if if I did have one, maybe like five to ten years ago, I would have probably regurgitated something along the lines of like, yeah, they're all a bunch of assholes, you know, because that's what I had been. I, I you know I live. In Jersey, in a suburban area, I've never been really uh, exposed to anything like that. So I would have had the same idea that most people have. But then throughout the years, I started to realize... I think what it really started with me was uh, factory farming was kind of like... You know, every once in a while you, you stumble across some video that exposes like how the meat that you get from the supermarket how that animal was treated up until its death and you go holy crap like that it it was it's really uncomfortable because you you know unless you're going to go vegetarian or something you have to kind of decide to ignore that and yeah you know for me it's 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 still what I'm doing because I don't want to go vegetarian you know my uh, my mother is a vegan occasionally. <laughs> There's like times where she sends, me, she sends me like pictures of burgers and everything. I'm like, what's going on here? But, you know, uh, <laughs> I just, I can't do that. I don't feel great when I don't have meat in my diet. And I've been kicking around the idea of, you know, going hunting. Uh, it kind of sucks because I'm the only one of my immediate group of friends that has any interest in it whatsoever. And so I've decided like, if I'm going to do this, then I've got to step outside the people that I know and start, you know, communicating with people that are over here. But a lot of it does stem from, like I said, just the way 
I mean, we've all seen them, those, those, those videos that leak, and it's like pigs shoulder to shoulder, yeah. ass to ass, on top of each other, living in their own, you know, crap, and, and it's terrible, it's absolutely terrible. Yeah. Well, so, I grew up on a farm, and I raised animals, actually, like, I showed them, and then I sold them for market, and so, I see both sides, and the thing that really bugged me about factory farms is they really make the family farm look bad um, because not all not all the meat that you get is necessarily raised that way you know like the videos that you're seeing and stuff that is strictly factory farming they they don't care they just want to make a dollar so um, you know the more they can the more animals they can put in a pen and the more the fastest they can feed them and get them out of there just to be sold just to ship more in um, that's that's kind of their ideals and that's what they do because that makes money um, and unfortunately uh, they're pretty much buying out all the family farms because family farms can't compete with the numbers um, and, and you know when I raised my animals like you know I had goats and sheep and chickens and pigs and all that kind of stuff and they all had names and I, I you know I fed them every day I petted them I played with them like it was totally different they had a lot of love and and you know they lived in a different environment they weren't smashed all in together and stuff like that so it really blows my mind that you know <laughs> the, the videos like that make all farming look bad but I will say most of the meat in your stores are coming from factory farms because family farms just cannot compete. So essentially that is where hunting comes in. And, you know, you know, a deer that you shoot has lived a great life. Most likely, you know, they, they were healthy and happy and, you know, lived to be whatever age they were when you harvested them. So I don't know. I, I, I see both sides, but I definitely would say hunting is, probably the greater of the two as far as getting, you know, good meat. Yeah. Um, I recently moved to, um, you know, towards the top of New Jersey. I'm, I'm like right on the edge of New York and I live walking distance <clears throat> from a farm that's on the border of New York and, and New Jersey. And I see those cows roaming and grazing and they're they're not squashed in together. I, I see the goats that sometimes you've got to stop the car because they're just head button in the middle of the road. <laughs> you know what I mean? I I, I do get and yeah. I and I do know the um, the farmer there. Uh, you know pretty well, uh, and he's a, a sweetheart of a guy, one of the most genuine people that you're ever going to meet, and just a hard worker. Uh, it is a shame. You know, people have this this idea because you had mentioned, you know, that your animals had names and that they had good lives and, and that you would pet them and, and they had a lot of love. And to a lot of people that just doesn't compute, right? Like I understand it, but I also can see how somebody else would go, how do you, how do you love an animal and then kill it? Because most people, the only experience they have with animals is their pet. They look at their dog or their cat and they go, I'd never eat you. And yeah. and it's 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 weird because they can't understand something as simple as, well, life is, is complicated. It's not all cut and dry. And you can love an animal and provide it with a good life. And then 
once it's reached the point where, you know, it's lived a good life and, and it's time to turn it into something that your family's going to eat, that doesn't, it just doesn't sit with, with, with people. Yeah, and I, I totally understand that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. All the animals that I ever raised, I never ate any of them just because I had that connection with them. Um, but obviously they did go for meat. Um, the thing is, you know, people just assume that, you know, hunters just want to hurt animals and we're out there just to kill and that's it. And, and they don't understand how we could, you know, take a photo with one and be smiling and happy and they just think we're sick in the head. Mm. And, and the thing is, I mean, maybe some people won't understand this, but humans are kind of a rare species when it comes to how we see things. Um, we, we do a lot of things based off of our emotions and nature does not rely on emotion. So, you know, we see a sheep that is being killed or whatever, and we get sad because we're like, oh, that's so sad. How could you do that? But, you know, in the wild, a coyote eating a fawn, they don't care. They have, they, they don't feel sorry. You know, a, a bear eating a salmon, they don't feel sorry. You know, it's, it's, we just rely so heavily on emotion that we can't see the logical life side of how it works. Yeah, I, I recently saw a video that, um, it, it was kind of dark, but it made me laugh. It was this old couple who, I guess, had found a squirrel and raised it up until it was ready to be reintroduced into the wild. They must have found it when it was a pinky or something and somehow got it to, you know, to stay alive and they, they built a relationship with it. And one day, the wife is recording while the old man goes to release him on a tree and he puts him on the tree. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, uh, I've seen it. <laughs> so it was so sad. Oh my god! He, he he puts the squirrel on the tree, and he's and he's going, you know, whatever the squirrel's name. He's going, go on, go, go on, Jimmy, get out of yeah. here. And then squirrels like reluctant to leave. Doesn't you know? He he likes him enough that he's still staying near him, and yeah. he's going, go on, go on. And the next thing you know, this goddamn cat jumps on the tree and takes the squirrel, <laughs> and the, and the old people get so sad. <laughs> it, was, it was so it was well, I felt so bad it because was, yeah it was definitely sad I was like oh my gosh that cat came out of nowhere yeah but what I think is funny is like you look at the squirrel if you're the owner right you go look the squirrel is cute and if that cat is yours you go I love my cat you see you love both these animals and they're like yeah that's cool I don't give a shit I'm gonna eat this squirrel <laughs> and it's so hard for us to to compute that, two things that you just loved a second ago, just one ate the other one, and now you still yeah. have to love that cat. <laughs> it is, uh, we do yeah, get... It is, it is crazy, for sure, but, I mean, it's just kind of reality, you know? People just don't want to accept that, and it, it's just how it is. It's how nature has been since the beginning of time, you know? Like, things need to eat other things to survive, so, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think that um, it's it's hard for me to say because I've just started to get into hunting over the past few years and it's not like I've really delved deeply into it, but is it does it seem to you that in more recent years, like we mentioned earlier with social media and kind of hunting as a community evolving and going towards you know being more associated with an athletic pursuit and things like that it also seems like people are more 
and I could be wrong, but more aware of, let's say, like the age and the maturity of the buck that they're shooting. Uh, you know, that a lot of people that are hunting are more likely to let an animal pass that may or may not be the one that they set out to find. Uh, absolutely. I, so being from Pennsylvania, uh, PA is actually the number one hunter. I forget the exact ratio. It's like hunter per square mile or something, um, for rifle hunting. And when I was growing up, literally you, if you saw a deer, you shot it because if you didn't, your neighbor was going to, it didn't matter what it was. As long as it was legal, you shot it. Um, and now I've definitely seen a shift. Um, I would say especially because bow hunting is more popular now. Um, but people are definitely starting to kind of manage deer a little bit and they, they want that better age structure and, you know, obviously they want the bigger rack coming by. So, um, I think social media definitely has a lot to do with that because people are seeing other people shoot big deer and they're like, Oh, well, I want to do that too. How can I do that? And then they, you know, obviously figured out that they need to pass on the smaller, younger deer to be able to do that. And that's, I have definitely noticed that over the years. What is for somebody who's on the outside? What, what is the ideal deer look like to you? <laughs> Uh, it depends. Um, I would say we're still kind of in that transition where people are slowly starting to pass on deer. Um, so it just depends on your state and, you know, what, what's common in the area. I, I can't really say there's perfect deer because they're all very different. Um, but I would say age, age wise, um, a mature deer is between the ages of five and seven. Um, and it really just depends on their environment and the kind of nutrition that they're getting as to how big they're going to be within those age ranges. Uh, so those are kind of the most ideal. Obviously, the older buck, eventually they're going to go downhill, but that's a lot of that's another story. Um, but between the ages of five and seven is typically what you're shooting for if you can. A lot of places you don't you won't ever see a deer that old, but. It's really hard for me to give an exact answer because it just depends. There's so many variables to it. Do you have um, an idea about the average lifespan of a deer in the wild? Let's say in our area, PA, New Jersey. Uh, you mean as far as like how long they could survive or how long they typically do survive? How long? I would say how long they typically survive. Um... <laughs> that's a good question. Truthfully, the I would say the age range that I have seen the most in PA is between a year and a half old to like three and a half. Really? Which which is pretty young. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just my personal experience in Pennsylvania. I don't. I I can't give a full estimate, but I would say that is the most age range that I have seen. How do you? How do you determine a deer's age if from, you know, from a distance? Uh, well, first of all, do not base it on the rack because genetics, the nutrition and all that kind of stuff has to go into that. Um, you can have a three-year-old that's bigger than a two-year-old or two-year-old that's bigger than a three-year-old, just depending on, you know, their environment. Um, a lot of people 
make that mistake. Now, rack can kind of help you gauge um, based on mass and, you know, maybe the amount of points, but typically don't look at that. Um, usually younger deer are leaner. They don't have a lot of fat on them because they're, you know, young and haven't had the chance to put that mass on. Um, you look at their belly. If their belly's sagging a little bit, they're usually a little bit older. Older, really old bucks have like a sway back, you know, like their back's not perfectly straight. Um, a lot of times like on their chest, it'll be a lot fuller in older deer. Um, and you know, during the rut, they got a really thick swollen neck. So a lot of times you can kind of gauge on that. Um, also I would say maybe like their feet, if their if their joints are kind of given out a little bit, <laughs> they're typically older. So usually older deer are like bigger bodied, heavier all around and younger deer are just more lean. Okay. But the, the only true way to really tell a deer's age is by their teeth. So technically you wouldn't ever really know unless you shot the deer and looked at their teeth. How, um, so, how long have you been bow hunting? Um, oh, good question. I have been, so I began bow hunting with a crossbow when I was 14 and I used a crossbow for most of my life. Most of my deer have been shot with crossbow. Um, and then I just started compound bow hunting about four years ago. But, I mean, it's the same season. It's just a different type of bow. And I imagine, well, it's really hard to s- say, but probably I would guess the compound bow is more difficult. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people have the misconception that a crossbow is like a rifle. Um, to a degree it is because there's a trigger. There is a trigger and it is already loaded, but you still kind of have to treat it like a bow because, you know, if you hit, if you hit a stick or a twig or something, it's still going to throw your arrow off and, and ethically you really shouldn't take super far shots. I mean, some of them nowadays can shoot up to a hundred yards, which I would never do because there's way too many things that can happen between the time that the arrow leaves the, you know, the crossbow to when it hits the deer, um, and deer are notorious for ducking. So, I mean, there's just a lot of things that can happen, but compound bow, you know, there's a lot more movement and, you know, you, you definitely have a little bit of a challenge because it's not already loaded. So where, I I guess a little more difficult, but (laughs) I like it better personally. (laughs) You were in uh, Wyoming, right? That was where you were the other day. Yes. And you weren't hunting out there? You were uh, doing photography or? I was filming. My best friend, she drew a tag. So where where we were hunting, um, she had to put in preference points every year, um, meaning, meaning you can't just go out and buy a tag. So it took her, I think, five years to draw. Wow. And so I, I didn't have a tag because I didn't put in for that, but I went along and I filmed everything for her. And so you have to put in five years in advance is, is how long it took for her to get that tag? Yeah. Um, I mean, some <laughs> – you're getting complex on me. Some, <laughs> some states require uh, – it's kind of like a lottery. Like you got to put in for it and you make a pick or you may not. Okay, and what so, was it? What what type of animal was this? Elk. 
Elk, okay. Yes. Elk are, are huge animals. What is, what is, uh, was she successful? She was not. <laughs> she, uh, she missed one, but, uh, you know, it, honestly, it was a very tough hunt, and this was the first that her and I really got to elk hunt together. That was only the second elk hunt I've ever been on, and we definitely learned a lot, so I'm excited to go back and attempt it potentially in the future, but uh, it took us, like, I want to say seven days just to find the elk and then when we did we just it was a pretty far shot it was like 363 yards so it was a bit of a challenge but it was still fun nonetheless <laughs> it, well it's 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 not um i mean it happens pretty often right an unsuccessful hunt you could have all the preparation in the world and you could go out there and spend you know 10 days out there and it just doesn't happen for you Oh, absolutely. It's not, it's not a guarantee and, and definitely not every time you go out, you know, for deer hunting, I go out as many days as I possibly can, which is pretty much every day. And I might shoot one or two deer a year. Wow. Yeah. Which truthfully, a lot of that has to do like with, you know, like we were talking about passing on deer. Um, I do pass on a lot of deer, but that's, still doesn't mean that I'm going to find the one that I'm looking for. So, you know, there's, there's that too. You said that you have something coming up, right? What, what was it that you were? Uh, Nebraska. Nebraska. Okay. And, and what are you doing in Nebraska? I'm deer hunting. Now with deer, is it, it's not the same level of difficulty, uh, to get tags, is it? Um, Typically, no. It just depends uh, on the state and what, like, like this tag that I'm getting is an either species tag, so I could shoot a mule deer or a whitetail because Nebraska has both. Um, but this one I can just go in and buy over the counter. It, it honestly, it just depends on, I guess, the, the population and what the state allows to be taken here. Okay, and... If you, you know, get a, if you manage to get a deer, what type of, how do I word this? How long does that meat last you? I mean, I'm sure there's variables, whether or not you're giving it away to friends and family and things of that nature, but is there anything you could speak to as far as that goes? I mean, I don't, I don't eat deer every day, so it, it honestly lasts me a while. I, I actually still have some left from last year when I shot a doe, and I shot one this year, so that'll probably last me into next year. Um, and obviously, the more that I get, the longer it's going to last. Um, but I would say just for me, like one person, it could be easily last you a year. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. It's... Uh... I don't know. It's, it's, I don't think a lot of people understand that you don't have to go out there and one, you're not going to, it doesn't matter how much you want to go out there and shoot a bunch of deer. Good luck. Uh, and the idea that you're going to, you know, that, that hunters are out there just mass slaughtering animals and, and eating it's it's you could live off of one deer for a year or you know I, I imagine if that's the way you're putting it if you're a family of three like it's you know in my house it's me my wife and my son and and I imagine that if I got two deer a year 
that I could stretch that through a bulk of the year. Yeah, I mean, some if you eat it every day, obviously it's not going to last you, but I mean, you, you're not out there eating steaks every day either, you know, so exactly. it can last you a while. So you, you'll still go into the supermarket and buy meat off the shelf? I do not like to, mostly because kind of going back to the family farm thing, uh, when I was growing up, my cousins raised cattle, and obviously I raised animals too, but um, they had cattle and we would always just buy from them. So I grew up on like home-raised beef um, and pork and that, you know, things of that such, but I, I really avoid the store if I can when it comes to meat. I just, I'm just not a fan. <laughs> I just don't like to buy it from them. Can you taste the difference? Uh, I can because I grew up on, you know, home-raised beef, but I, I, some people say they can, some people say they can't. I can. Yeah, I've had grass-fed beef versus corn-fed, and I, I really, it's, it's, I'm, to me, I have absolutely no idea, you know, and I think that <laughs> would obviously, uh, take some time, and, and, you know, I, I think the, the thing that's missing for people like me is the reverence for the meat and how it was acquired. It's it's very strange how people can get, you know, can go bad on a hunter, but they're in White Castle. You know what I mean? Like it's, you're eating, yeah. you're eating meat. If anything, the person that you're pointing a finger at is at least taking responsibility for where that meat comes from. They're not waiting for somebody else to do it for them and then put it in this pretty styrofoam and saran wrap package for them. And then it's, it's the same thing as pulling a can of coffee off the shelf at, at ShopRite. You know, it's, it's, uh, we're so detached and it's, I mean, unless you're a squeaky clean, uh, vegan, which even, even vegans, it's like the amount of, small animals that are destroyed in the combines when they're harvesting, you know, all the stuff that we eat as far as produce goes, there's death on, on all levels. And to me, it's like, well, well, I was just going to say to me, it's like, at least hunters are taking responsibility and doing the hard work and, and having the experience. And there's no question in their mind where the meat comes from you know they acquired it they put in the hard work yeah absolutely what blows my mind about vegans is you know they they can hate on us for killing and stuff but you know they don't think about you know all the products that they're using that affect animals or you know going out and even just building a house you're technically taking away environment from wild animals so it it doesn't really matter what you do you're gonna you're going to technically be a part of it, whether you choose to think you are or not. Right. So that, that blows my mind that they can be so hateful towards people that are taking responsibility and, and, you know, owning up to the fact that they're doing it the best possible way that they can do it instead of just being completely blind to it. Yeah. It's interesting too, because like you just said, you don't really get to live without something else dying, uh, so that you can, but the people that are, you know, I don't want to say all vegans, but a lot of, especially the online, you know, vegans, they, those people are kind of ruthless 
and they say the most brutal things. And I just wonder, like, is it is it a clean back and forth? You know, our hunters, after they've spent 10 days in Wisconsin, <laughs> you know, unsuccessfully hunting an elk and going through all this, are they uh, finding the time to hop on their laptop and go bash a bunch of vegans and, 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 you know, <laughs> telling them that they're, they hope their kids choke to death on tofu. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's <laughs> happening. Oh gosh. No, but that's a pretty good comeback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gotta remember that one. <laughs> no, I, it honestly, they're just a bunch of keyboard warriors who have nothing better to do than just hate. I, I honestly, I think they're just unhappy with something in their own life that they just feel the need to go out and attack somebody else to make themselves feel better because I, I really can't think of any other reason. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I spend a lot of time on social media, but I have no time to go out of my way and, you know, go hate on other people for living their own lifestyle. Like, especially if I don't know anything about it, like that's what blows my mind is they, they truly don't understand anything they're talking about. And they just, they just throw these random things out there. And I'm like, where is this even coming from? Like, how could you possibly think that's a logical thing to say to somebody? Like, it just blows my mind. <laughs> you, you know what I like? I like when I see the the comment from whoever's pissed off and they go, yeah, you think that, you know, what you did is uh, honorable or admirable. How about you hunt that thing with a knife? How about that? You ever get that where they tell uh, you yes. that the method of yes. killing the animal was too easy? You should be out there with a knife. What the fuck? Yeah, I know. It's so crazy. And I'm I'm like, all right, well, either way, it's going to die. So yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah. If you want to see it, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, it is, people just, they find whatever they can. I just think if you're, you know, what, what I see you doing is, is two different things that are notable. One of them is, you know, you don't seem to have enough time in your day to seek out people and, and be negative toward them. But the other thing is that uh, you're actually very supportive of the community that you're a part of. Like, for example, uh, you asked people to send you videos of the animals that they harvested and that you would post them up. And I almost feel like you didn't anticipate how many you were going to get because after that, your, your, uh, your stories on Instagram just were insane. They were filled with just like, I don't even know how many people. And, uh, I think that that's one of the things that's pretty unique about the hunting community is in the face of all the crap that they get from people who just don't understand what's going on, uh, they seem to be very supportive of one another. Well, I really try because if, I'm not going to lie, you know, hunters can be some of the, the worst critics as well. Um, and I think a lot of that just has to do with social media pressure. And I mean, obviously the antis are after us, but I think that's kind of always been a thing. It's just more prevalent now that there is social media. Um, but you know, sometimes hunters can be critical of each other. Oh, that buck isn't old enough and shouldn't have shot it or he's not big enough. And, and I think that's just kind of crazy. I mean, personally, I think, you know, whatever gets your heart pounding and what makes you excited. And if you're happy with what you shoot, shoot it you know don't don't listen to everybody else and you know because if that was the case no one would ever shoot anything and then that really isn't helping them the deer in the long run because then the population would go up you know there's just it's just kind of crazy so I really want to just like support everybody and and just show that and and you know unite the community because 
if we don't unite, you know, obviously, you know, we're just going to fall apart. So, I don't know. I just really try for that, so. Which for sure is the is the right way to go. You know, instead of spending your time and, and hunting people down to say negative crap to them on their, you know, instead you should be looking for people that you admire, people that are, you know, uh, positively contributing to what it is that you're into. It just... I, it's social media can be this tremendous tool uh, for reaching out and communicating with people and to use that we only have so many hours in the day you know whoever's working a full-time job whoever has hobbies and interests and a family and when there's those people I mean if you tell me you work 40 hours a week and you have a child uh, and a wife and you have a hobby or two and you're finding the time in your day to sit back and, and keyboard warrior, you know, to go back and forth with somebody about what the hell are you doing? Is, do you not appreciate the time that you have? Do you, do you not have something better to do something more positive, (laughs) you know, hop off that person's page, go find somebody you like and say something nice. Yeah. It's a, it is pretty amazing. Um, you know, it's probably hard for you to to see it any other way but because you've been doing it since like you said like four years old is there a a way that you could speak to what it feels like to be responsible for putting food on your table oh boy um Because I just I mean, imagine it's, it's for me, it's, I, I go, like I said before about the detachment from what's on the supermarket shelf is I, I go to work and I work my 40 hours and I come back and I buy groceries and, you know, somebody else did all these things, but I don't, you know, it's, people have a sense of pride. Like I worked for this food to put food on this table, but it's gotta be a whole nother level when it's like, no, no, no. I literally worked. <laughs> to put food, I've worked for years and years to become good at putting food on the table. Like, that's got to be a whole nother, you know, I've heard people say when you grow something from your garden, as far as a vegetable goes, and then all of a sudden, like, it wasn't there at all. It started as a seed. You harvested it. You, you put in the time to, to make it grow. You harvested it. You cooked it. And now it's sitting on a plate in front of you, and, and you and your friends and family are enjoying it. I imagine it's got to be a whole nother level but something similar to that. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. If I'm being honest, it's really not something that I can explain or really put into words. It's just a, a kind of a feeling that you have to feel for yourself by doing it. And and I know obviously not everyone can do that. Um, but it, it's just, it's like, I don't know, maybe practicing as much as you can at softball and just, doing the best you can and, and, you know, going to practice every day and, you know, staying late or whatever, whatever it takes to get good at softball. And then you finally, you know, I don't know, you guys win state or something like, and then you just have that feeling of accomplishment and just that pride. And that's kind of what it is. You know, we have pride because it took all that effort, you know, from buying all the equipment. It's not cheap. I mean, all the equipment that we get is, it's, expensive to be honest but you know you get your equipment you practice with it and you get good at it and then you finally put time in the stand and 
and you, you pattern deer by using trail cameras and figuring out which ones you actually are trying to go for. And, and then when that finally happens and you have meat on the table, like it's just such a rewarding thing. And, and I really can't, I can't put it in words. How, um, you mentioned that, you know, the practicing aspect, do you practice with, I, I guess, one of those giant foam targets or like a, uh, like a, 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 one of the giant target deers? Do you, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. I have, well, right now, so I live in like a little townhouse, so I don't, I have a yard that is 40 yards long and I have like this little pig target and I pretty much just use that. <laughs> and every now and then I'll shoot in my garage if it's like raining or something. How often but do you practice? I, much, I oh, as much as I can. I during deer season not a whole lot. Like I'll shoot every couple days just to make sure I'm still on. Um, but in the summer, I would say is probably when I practice the most. And um, I I try to shoot at least ten arrows a day if I can. It doesn't always happen, but that's usually my goal. Um, and at various yardages and stuff. So I don't know. I, I try to as much as I can, but you know, life gets in the way sometimes. I could imagine it. You know, what's interesting to me, uh, is the whole occasional public outrage at some animal that was killed by a hunter, you know, like the whole Cecil, the lion thing, or recently there was a woman who was, in the public eye for shooting uh, a rare black-backed giraffe, allegedly. Did you hear about that? I did not hear about the giraffe. But, of course, the Cecil the Lion thing was was huge. Yeah. And what's interesting is, uh, right after Cecil, there was another lion. And I forget what his name is. I want to say it was like Jericho or something like that. And... Some small media station or, or uh, website put up a post about how, how unfortunate it is that now Jericho, Cecil the lion's brother, has been shot. And everybody, for a, for a brief moment, you know, got on the outrage train again. And then, like, moments later, they retracted it and said, like, oh, nope, sorry, it wasn't Jericho. It was some nameless lion and everyone went oh okay that's cool <laughs> like wait <laughs> so it, it, it's just weird because we do this thing of like naming you know you toss a name on an animal and suddenly you know he's the lion from the wizard of oz and <laughs> we feel like we know him and that's it's yeah. the same thing that's happening with the bear hunt i see like cartoon bears on billboards where it's like a sad mama bear and her adorable cub you know and it's like please don't shoot me and it's so weird how we can allow ourselves for a moment to go oh that's so sad and you go wait a second dummy bears can't talk (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) like bears don't make sad faces bears don't cry it's yeah it's really strange it's like this willingness to just Cecil the lion, that was, he wore pants. You know what I mean? Like, Cecil the lion had a, a family, and he, he went to the bar every Wednesday with his buddies. Like, no, he didn't. It was a fucking lion. He didn't. It's, yeah. It's really strange. We allow ourselves to, you know, it's the same thing with Bambi. 
and mm-hmm. every kid grew up with Bambi. You know what I mean? It, it, I'm sure you've seen it at some point. Well, Bambi's like my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> and you're out here shooting deer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. We do a really good job of, of turning our animals into Smokey the Bear and, and, and getting emotional over them. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, people, they get it twisted. They think that, oh, we just, we hate animals and, you know, we're, we, we're ruthless and whatever. I get sad. Like, when my pets die, like, I love them and I'm very sad for that. But it kind of goes back to what I was saying about nature doesn't rely on emotion. Like, the, the bear that you're seeing or the lion or whatever, they, they, don't, they don't feel the same way about you that you feel about them. Right. So, you know, I, I don't know why we do it. I guess it's just in our nature, but we just base everything on emotion. And, oh, it's so sad, but it's life. Life has death. I, I imagine that in the, the circle of people that you associate with, this isn't a, an issue, but does it frustrate you, uh, the average person's disconnect from nature? It only frustrates me when they have something to say about it. Um, You know, not everyone can be a hunter. Not everyone should be a hunter. But, you know, when when you get those keyboard warriors or whatever who have some strong opinion about something and they they really don't understand how it all works, that's when it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating when you try to explain to them you know, okay, this is why we're doing this or whatever. And then they still want to argue with you, but it, you know, it's kind of like a lose situation. You're never going to win with them. So that's when it, it really makes annoying. Have you ever had a moment where you managed to get someone to actually calm down and, and see things from your point of view? Um, I wouldn't. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't say I necessarily, like, converted someone, but um, there have been conversations that I've had um, where, you know, I could at least come to some sort of, like, agree to disagree kind of thing, Mm. um, where they would at least see my side, and and I do my best to see their side, because, you know, you can't necessarily win an argument if you don't see both sides. So I try my best to be very understanding and and listen to them, because that's really what they want. They just want you to hear them. Um, so I do that, and I, I just do my best to be calm and civil about it. But sometimes it's just a, a losing thing. You just kind of got to let it go and move on. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think that the the main argument that a person could have is that they don't want to hurt anything. And, like, that's admirable. I get it. We live in a world where everything is suffering. Everybody's suffering on some level. And at the at the highest end of that spectrum, you know, like I said with the factory farming videos, you see that and your knee-jerk reaction is like, I don't ever want to hurt anything. I don't ever want anything to hurt. And I, I get that. And I, I think that that is the probably the strongest argument that a person could come up with. But I... I think that it's also just not feasible. It's not something that can happen. We, we, it, we're not going to find a way anytime soon to exist in a world without suffering. And it's, I guess the argument to that could be 
well, if you start minimizing it now, maybe years and years down the road, if everybody adopts that, uh, we'll get to a place where it's so minimal that it might as well be non-existent. But, you know, if you go back to the thing with the 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 wild boars and the helicopters, with at some point something has to happen because if you don't keep the population in check, uh, terrible things are going to come as a consequence to that. You know, black bear... Uh, as you mentioned, moving into residential areas because their numbers have gotten to a point where, you know, there's not enough room for them anymore. And then they're in your garbage can, they're in your backyard, you know, something happens and they're, you leave your garage door open and you come out and there's one in there or you run into a mother with her cubs and there's too much, there's just not a way. I don't see a way where we're going to get to some place where, nothing has to die anymore actually unless we start doing uh, you know what i was gonna say unless we start doing uh lab-grown meat but still what about all the animals on the outside of the lab that still need their numbers in check (laughs) yeah i wouldn't necessarily trust that either but (laughs) um i mean there there's no there are there is no way to you know, fix that because the earth is only so big and obviously it's not getting any bigger, but our population, our population, as well as animal populations keep growing. So we are running out of space and eventually, you know, it's, it comes down to a human's life over an animal's life and humans are very entitled and we think we're top dog and I guess we technically are. So obviously the animals are going to come second. So they're the ones that need to be managed. And, you know, unless we have some mass, die off of people like you know there's no way to really get around that yeah and at the end of the day i'm i'm pretty much team human so uh as much <laughs> as it sucks to have to kill the bears or kill the deer or whatever that i mean there's more the the amount of car accidents uh in the northeast of america i i forget what the numbers are like in jersey for example i feel like it's like in like ten thousand a year or something like that car accidents caused by deer and people yeah. say well that's just from us taking up their their living space you know because we keep expanding and we keep building and to an extent that is true but i found out recently that the numbers are historically there's never been more whitetail in this part of north america than there is right now so i don't know what that is if there's just more more food sources in a way. Like I remember growing up in a, in a small town that was kind of like the suburbs. And when I grew up there initially, when I was uh, like six, seven years old, there was no deer. By the time I was like 15 years old, suddenly deer had been creeping into the neighborhood. And now if I talk to my old friends, they see them every day. So something's changing. Yeah. So I, I knew you were going to kind of mention this. So I actually just looked up, um, for Pennsylvania, um, I went on the Game Commission website, and they had uh, the whitetail population, which I kind of want to mention, you know, a lot of times people that don't hunt, they think hunters are just, you know, killing them off, when really, you know, with conservation and, you know, the efforts that are going into managing uh, wild populations, we're actually increasing numbers, Um and, and it's interesting to me because in 19 or 1890, there was roughly uh, 300,000 deer in the whole state of Pennsylvania. That's the whole state, overall population. And 
Um, today, as of 2016, there were 333,254 deer that were harvested. So that's not even the overall population. That's just the amount that were harvested in that year, which was over 33,000 more than what the total population used to be back in the 1800s. And so they would not have issued those tags if that number wasn't sustainable. So I wonder what the actual number is. Yeah, I tried finding it, and it I, I didn't have enough time <laughs> to actually look for it. But um, I really don't know what the, the full number is. But, it, it you know, obviously there's a set tag limit for a reason. You know, they're trying to keep it at a healthy number for not only the animals, but for the environment and human safety. I, so, can't, I can't believe that that the amount of tags issued that wildlife biologists thought that it was an appropriate thing to kill off the population that existed in the 1800s. Like that's how many deer exist here right now. Yep. That's pretty insane. I remember when I first moved up to where I live now and I was, uh, I was moving, you know, furniture in the truck and the car ahead of me, slammed into a deer, you know, not going too fast. The deer skid across the road, got up and ran away, and the lady was completely shook. I pulled up next to her. I was like, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. I was like, you should probably just sit here for a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I see them. I, it's like they're just standing. It seems like they're just standing on the edge of the road, just just trying to get you, like, every every day, every day. Yeah, they're waiting for you. <laughs> That's what it seems like. It's crazy. I... I I don't know. You know what's interesting, too, how you mentioned that what hunters are doing is actually increasing the numbers in some ways. And I imagine that's by getting rid of the older bucks so that the younger deer don't have to compete for sexual partners with the older bucks. Uh, Is that accurate in, in, in any sense? Yeah, I mean... Older bucks are definitely territorial, and and they're not going to let the young ones in. But um, you know, when you when you take that deer out, it it allows not just one young deer to come in, but multiple, you know, potential bucks that are going to try to grow and you know get those does. Um, I wouldn't say that's the only factor, but it's definitely part of it. Well, the reason that I mentioned it is because earlier I mentioned a story about a woman who shot this quote, rare black back giraffe. And I could have my story wrong and and maybe somebody will correct me in the future or I'll figure it out. But from what I gather, most or all, all male giraffes will reach the, the, uh, the stage of being a black back giraffe. The reason that it's rare is because they typically don't live that long in the wild. So when you do see one, it's a really, older mature giraffe that you know has been around longer than your typical giraffe so what happened is this giraffe started it killed i forget what the number was of younger male giraffes that were trying to compete for sexual partners in its territory i I guess they're also territorial and Mm -hmm. so this thing managed to kill like an alarming number of them and I, I don't know if this is in Africa, but they decided that this giraffe needed to be killed. And rather than just killing it, someone will come in in that particular situation, pay, uh, you know, a large amount of money to go and kill this giraffe. And that money will go towards conservation, but it will also go towards the locals that live there. 
And so this woman kills this giraffe and puts this picture up and then gets nothing but hate. And nobody takes the time to realize, like, this actually had to be done. The money that she paid yeah. to kill this giraffe went and helped a lot of people and helped the, the, the existing population there. And if she hadn't done it, somebody else would have. And if nobody else would have, then somebody would have just shot it for free. And the money would have gone nowhere because it wouldn't have existed. Yeah. It's, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, you know, when, when we buy hunting licenses and tags and permits and things, you know, all that money goes right back into, you know, supporting the wildlife. And, and, you know, a lot of people just don't, they think we're just killing, but really we're actually helping out populations by funding. And, you know, that allows, you know, the benefit for them. Yeah, it's very counterintuitive to think that, uh, that, what is it called? The Fishing and Game Administration? Uh, each, every state has a different name for it. I mean... Uh, like for Pennsylvania, it's the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Uh, Missouri is the Department of Conservation. So I can't think of all of them. The the governing body that deals with that is actually responsible for more wildlife conservation than any other organization, if I'm not mistaken. And people don't get that. It's just not, it doesn't make any sense. Like, how are the people who are the the gatekeepers between you and the animal that you want to kill, how are they the ones that are responsible for more conservation than any other group is? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know exact numbers, but not just, you know, state-regulated organizations, but there's also, you know, nonprofit organizations. Um, just to name a few, like the National Wild Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, Quality Deer Management Association, like those are all nonprofits that are, you know, species specific usually, but they provide so much funding. Just it's basically like a club, you know, and they have members who pay uh, yearly donations or you know membership fees and stuff like that, and all of that goes straight back into helping wildlife and you know whatever their respective organization is meant for. Um, so. You know, you, you have that not just from the state, but from all over. So, I don't know. I just, it's, it's, it's one of those things that people just don't realize. And it's kind of part of the education where, you know, they don't, they don't understand. And meanwhile, they're clicking away on their keyboard, calling you an asshole. And they're not, well, they haven't contributed anything. If they, ha if they knew the amount of money and time and, and effort that I have put in, just me specifically, that I've put into you know, managing, I'm mostly a deer hunter, so I, I'm going to say deer, managing deer and, and all the things that have benefited, it's, it's insane. They, they would, they're just, their minds would be blown. <laughs> like, it's so crazy. Yeah, I, I, I had gotten into this subject from uh, people like Cameron Haynes and, and uh, Steve Ranella, and um, I listened to them on other podcasts, and I just think... It's so counterintuitive and so amazing and so hard to argue. Like, once you understand that, I had no idea. I had no idea. I, I, I really didn't. I mean, even all the other 
topics and, and details aside, the fact that a bulk of the money for conservation comes from hunters, like that puts a hole to me in, in every argument. I can't see any way around that. I feel like every time somebody DMs you or something like that, you should just go, yes, a bulk of the money for conservation comes from hunters. Have a good day. <laughs> like, that should be the, you know what I mean? And then they say shit like, oh, well, why don't you just donate the money instead of killing the animal? Yeah, why don't you donate the money? and Or shut up, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't see you doing it. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, the, the self-righteousness of people to hop on and, and start clicking away and they know absolutely nothing about it. And then when they're met with some, you know, shocking fact, like when I heard that, it, I I didn't know what to think anymore. I thought I, I got to figure out how to start hunting. I actually wanted to ask you, if, if you had to give some sort of advice to someone who was looking on, especially bow hunting, looking to, to getting into it, where does somebody start? Because for me, it's so foreign. It's so out of the realm of anything that I've experienced before. Uh that, you know, where to start, like, would I just get a bow and a block and start shooting arrows in my backyard? And then like, my neighbors are going to be like, what the fuck? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it is kind of complex. Like there's a lot that goes into it. Um, what I would recommend if you're trying to start bow hunting is find a bow shop and go in there and just talk to the bow shop guy and he will get you set up and, and shooting well. And, you know, because you can't just pick up a bow and arrows and just shoot because there's just a lot that goes into it that I don't have time to explain. But um, talk to your bow shop guy and, and learn as much as you can from him. Start there. Um, and a lot of like there's a lot of um, I'm trying to think you have to like to be able to hunt. You have to have like a hunter safety course. So, you know, I would maybe just go online and look for, like, uh, hunter education courses um, within your county or something like that. you got to start there, and they will give you a lot of information on what to do, how to start, um, things of that such. But that's probably your best bet to start. I mean, if you want, when I come in PA, we could go hunting together. I can take you out. <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. Like I said, I, I don't know anybody personally. You you are now uh, officially the the only person I have ever had a conversation with that uh, that actually hunts and that that bow hunts. So that would be that would be great. I've got some work to do then. In the meantime, yeah. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, there's just so much that goes into it that I can't like really explain it. Like it's kind of one of those things you kind of just have to go out with someone, have them show you what to do. You know, because it's just it's it's a very unique thing i guess but definitely practice once you get your bow practice 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 yeah the the thing about the bow like i was at a uh antique shop and it wasn't really an antique shop because the lady she just got like all kinds of random things in and i saw a uh, a hoyt bow case and when i opened it up there was a hoyt bow in there but i didn't quite know what i was looking at it it was blue for one, and I was like, well, that doesn't look like something I would want to be in the woods with, and it wasn't as, I don't know, it didn't seem as complex as your average compound bow, like it had, what are those, what are those called, the, the, the big wheels on the ends of a compound bow? Oh, cams? Yeah, it had cams, but it just didn't, it didn't look the same, I don't, I don't know, and... I think it was blue. Well, every every bow brand kind of has their own look to them. 
Um, but if it was, was it like a bright metallic blue? Yeah, it was a bright metallic blue, and the, the bow itself was like, the arms were flat. Yeah, so that was mo- more than likely like a target bow, like for competition archery. That's the vibe so, that I got, yeah. Yeah, that's not something you would want to hunt with. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it was like, it was so hard because she was like, well, it's $70, and I'm like, well, that seems reasonable. I don't, and then I, and then I left, and I was like, hmm, let me try to do some research. So I hop on Google, and I'm like, shiny blue Hoyt bow. <laughs> you know, like, damn it, I don't know. Like, I don't, yeah. it's just so hard to get a foothold on anything. Uh, so, you know, it's... And like you said, the stuff is is not cheap. The equipment is is very expensive. So I've got to figure out one. I've got to do the research, and so my recommendation for you is to find a bow shop. And if you're if you're you know working on a budget, don't go with the brand new you know newest bow that's coming out on the market. Don't do that. Find one that's a few years older because they're typically cheaper. I'm not going to say cheap, but they're typically cheaper. <laughs> Um, and just shoot a few different brands and just figure out which one feels the most comfortable for you. All right. So, well, I, I know that there's and, a bow place right up here, so. Yeah. Just, just talk to the bow shop guy. Like, you know, if, if he's a good bow shop guy, then he'll be able to set you up and get you everything you need and, and you'll be good to go. All right. You're, you, and, and you are, you said you're going out when you're very close to going out again. Um, well, I work, like, every day this week, but Sunday I'll probably be going out. And for how long? Um, well, all day. <laughs> oh, oh, no, didn't you say there was a trip coming up? Oh, oh, Nebraska? Nebraska. How long are you going to Nebraska? Um, I'll be there November 9th to the 16th, I believe. Wow, so seven days. Yeah. And it's getting cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Caitlin. Well, well good luck uh, in Nebraska, and thank you so much for doing this. I, I, you know, it was great to talk to you, and I hope that my listeners, who are very much like me, they don't really know much about a lot of things, uh, hopefully they know a little bit more, and at least I have a place to start. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I hope, uh, I hope your listeners learned a thing or two, and if they have any more questions, you know, Feel free to send them my way. Where where can they find you? Um, so Instagram is typically what I use the most. Um, my handle is K8LINM underscore 34. <laughs> kind of complicated, but... Uh, it's like, let's see, it's yeah, Caitlin M underscore 34, but yeah. instead of uh, Aitlin, it's literally the number eight. Yeah, <laughs> super original. <laughs> and so Instagram is where most of your most of it goes down. Yeah, I mean I have Facebook too, but Instagram's what I'm on the most. Yeah, Facebook sucks anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Caitlin, I really appreciate it. Thanks again for doing this, and good luck to you in Nebraska. Thank you, I appreciate it. All right, you have a good night. You too. Bye bye. Bye. That was cool. That was cool. That was cool. That was cool. Yeah, man. Um, it's just, to me, this whole thing was, I really just wanted to get at how weird it was that people should be so hateful and negative towards hunters. And like she said, you know, there's a lot of, there are some of those stereotypical people out there. And 
it's unfortunate, but there's so many hunters that are doing it in a way where they have reverence for the animal in a way that's disciplined and, and much more difficult than the average person even understands in a way that's sustainable. You know, like she said, not everybody could be a hunter or not everybody should be a hunter. Imagine what it would be like if every single person hunted, you know, probably wouldn't be much left to hunt, but if you can, maybe you should, you know, uh, factory farming is, is disgusting, I, but it's also a necessary evil if you want to feed the sheer numbers of people that we have on this planet. So I understand, but it's just strange. I mean, it's not strange, really. The hate that they get. People very rarely do their research, and more often than not, they're they're going with the emotional knee-jerk reaction to a thing. You know, you see an animal laying there dead and somebody... Hello, cat. Uh, somebody holding the head up and smiling. And it just doesn't compute. You look at a dead animal and a person that's holding it looking happy. Um, but... Yes, cat. You want to say hello? Go on, say hello to the microphone. Meow, meow. Cats—they never meow when you want them to. Uh, there you go. But either way, uh, Caitlin Moss—that was really nice of her. I, I just want to say thank you to my guest, Caitlin. Uh, I, I really appreciate you doing this, and uh, you're very knowledgeable. And I got a lot from that conversation. I want to say thank you to my listeners. And uh, it's not a big show, but I love doing it, and I get a lot of joy from it, and I get a lot of <sighs> satisfaction. I remember when I first started this thing, I was talking about finding finding a way to gain satisfaction from your life, because I think it's cliche to say that I just want to be happy. Happiness is great, but... I don't think you could live a life that was nothing but happy and truly be satisfied because you need to have ups and downs and and so far this this does bring me satisfaction. Uh so that's it for today guys. I got two episodes coming up next week. Uh my buddy Russell built on Instagram, who actually built these six-foot-tall grandfather clocks that are currently in, one is in Joe Rogan's studio, and the other is in the Fighter and the Kids studio. You could actually see them if you watch them on YouTube in the background. And Russell's a very interesting guy, and uh, and he works very hard, and he's very creative. He makes awesome things. And He's got an interesting story. And then after that, uh, if all goes well, I'll have an in-house guest, my buddy Mo, who is a killer guitarist, and he's also a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and he's a, a hell of a soccer player, too. 
and also a welder and a fabricator. Just one of those guys that makes you go, eh, I'm not doing enough. You know? I think we're doing that Wednesday. So, got them coming up Monday and Wednesday. And, yeah, that's about it. So thank you so much for tuning in. And once again, thank you to Caitlin Moss for doing this. And I will see y'all next week. Love ya. Bye-bye.